This is Rugga Matrix America. Hey, welcome to the show, everybody. This is Alex Goff from GoffRugbyReport.com, joined as always by Bruce McLean and, well, Pat Clifton's not here right now, but we're going to sneak him in the show hopefully later because uh, he has a, a, a coaching commitment. We have fabulous guests uh, on, on this new show, and I'm really excited about it. But before we get there, just a reminder that Rugged Matrix America is brought to you by Aircraft Charter Solutions. Check out Aircraft Charter Solutions ad on Golf Rugby Report, where you can also get news on what's going on in the college and high school scene, which is going to be uh, picking up big time here as uh, September comes closer. But uh, first of all, we have... Uh, two guests for us this week, and that's Nick Leah and Stephen Larkham from the Brumbies in Australia. And guys, first of all, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Mike. Well, uh, you know, for for the viewers who are relatively new to rugby, and in America that happens a lot, um, uh, you know, memories are short. They might not remember Stephen Larkham, uh, who did play against the USA one time for... Uh, Australia, which must have been the highlight of his career, but he, he did manage to get on the field 101 more times for Australia. And a couple of stats, just interesting, uh, as uh, fly half for the Wallabies, 68 wins out of 102 games, it's not bad, 11-1 and one in the World Cup, 127 caps for the Brumbies, who he's now the head coach for, member of the Australian Sports Hall of Fame. And the thing that I, I, I want to ask you about uh, is that in my mind, there are four great drop goals in the history of, of rugby that spring to my mind. Uh, J.P.R. Williams in 1971, kicking one from 50 meters to seal a, a, a Lions series victory in New Zealand. Uh, John Stransky in 1995, of course, in the World Cup final. And Johnny Wilkinson, 2003, in the World Cup final. And then Stephen Larkham, a guy who doesn't kick drop goals, manages to kick one from 50 meters in the 1999 Rugby World Cup semi-final. And Stephen, do you do you still get asked about that? Is that am I one of a long line of people asking you about that one? Yeah, all the time. Still happens. Uh, yeah, I'm remembered for that. I guess I'm not renowned for it though. Uh, certainly one of those one-off occasions where uh, the ball just went over the post. I've, I've had about uh, 50 shots at field goal or drop goal through my career, and I think I've made two. So it just happened uh, that that one went over. The post and it sunk uh, South Africa out of the World Cup. Um, so I get it more often in South Africa than anywhere oh, else. I, People come up to me all the time and uh, say you're that guy that ruined our hopes. There you go. And and obviously uh, you went on to win the uh, the World Cup that year. Uh, that was the year that American rugby fans remember because there was only uh, one try scored against the Wallabies the whole World Cup and it was scored by the United States. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now the score was fifty-five nineteen Australia, but still. Um, the the other thing about about you, Stephen, as a player, uh, you play fly half. Great at reading the game. Uh, you know, uh, it seemed like a lot, a lot of natural talent. Even though your body type didn't really lend itself, you're taller, lankier than most fly halves, uh, first fives, whatever we want to call them. Um, so we're, now, as you as as head coach of the Brumbies. Um, and I, and I don't know if you look at it this way, but if the game comes naturally to you, if the game comes, you know, reading the game comes easily to you, does that make it difficult to coach? And do you have to sort of teach yourself to think like a player who needs coaching? Yeah, definitely. You have to see it from a different perspective. Uh, you have to understand the individual that you're coaching, uh, understand uh, their strengths and their weaknesses uh, and how they see the game. And uh yeah, it, it was difficult. My first couple of years of coaching was really difficult because uh, I saw the game a little bit differently and, and I was wondering why they couldn't play the way I wanted them to play. Um, but now I've found a pretty good balance, so a little bit of balance of uh, teaching them what I see and a little bit of understanding what they see and we've sort of found a, a nice balance in the middle somewhere. So you have to, do you have to change your language or, or how you explain things? It's, and, and try to stop yourself from saying, come on, it's easy. It's, you just do it this way. Um, yeah, you preferably don't get in there and show them, although sometimes I still do that uh, because, you know, a pitch is worth a thousand words. Um, 
but I like to get them to see it from their own perspective. So, uh, yeah, try and talk in their language a little bit. Uh, however, a lot of the, the calls and terminology that I used when I was playing is still here at the Brumbies, uh, and, and I've reintroduced some of it so that uh, uh, I guess we're all on the same wavelength. Being in Australia, does it? Are, are you influenced by rugby league in attack? I know that a, a lot of people are influenced by rugby league in defence over a the period of time, are you are you influenced there in attack in using the kicking game in 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 playing really simple simple kind of structures that require a lot of decision making and pace going in? Does that affect the way you play, or do you don't pay attention to it at all? Uh, well. I'd have to say, and being honest, I actually saw my first game of rugby league and I only saw about half of it. Uh, last weekend, I watched a little bit of uh, the Bulldogs play uh, on TV and I haven't seen a game of rugby for rugby league for 15 years prior to that. So it's not something I uh, take a lot out of. Um, I do understand how they play. So you see snippets of games and uh, attack strategies and patterns. Um, and I certainly understand we've got the Raiders uh, actually here at the University of Canberra. We've got a brand new building and uh, you know, we've got a, a nice brand new field just out the front of us here. Um, looking out the windows, we're sort of on the second floor of our new building, looking out on the, on the ground and the Raiders are training out here at the moment, at the, moment, the Canberra Raiders. So they, they play in the National Rugby League competition. Uh, so I've been watching a little bit of their training, but um, no, I think that... There is a fair difference between the games. Um, you know, rugby union is very technical. Uh, there's lots of elements of the game that you need to understand uh, to put the components together to come out with a su successful attacking strategy. There's a, there's a lot of one-on-one -on -one contests uh, in rugby union, and that's some of the stuff that you might draw from rugby league. Um, but in terms of tactics and structures, um, game plans, we're not really drawing a lot from rugby league at all. And how much time do you? I want to say that's a crappy question. Um, how do you get? How do you develop a winning culture within your team in, in terms of winning behaviors and et cetera and things like that? How do you? What are the basic things you look for to try to get your team on the same page? Um, more more so than tactically, kind of turning themselves in the way that they. Their, their effort and their work ethic and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I guess our culture, uh, which is a high-performance-driven culture, um, is all about getting the most out of every training run, um, out of every game. Uh, therefore, uh, work rate, work, work ethic um, is very important here. So... Uh, I guess we drill it into them in meetings. Uh, we talk about uh, sacrifice and work ethic, uh, discipline um, off the field and then on the field, we push them hard. Um, we push them very hard uh, to, to within um, the point of breaking them, I guess. So a lot of our training is based around injury prevention. Um, so we will push the guys as hard as physically possible without breaking them. You don't want to come away from a training run with a soft tissue injury. So we do a lot of analysis on how far they're running, how hard they're running, uh, their loads leading into a session um, to make sure that we can train with a huge amount of intensity uh, for the shortest period of time, get the most out of it, and then get them off the field uh, into the recovery mode, which includes uh, you know, your standard hot and cold, your nutrition, uh, your sleep. Um, so we put a, you know, what we feel is the best rugby program in the world around these guys. Uh, I think they appreciate that and they understand uh, the reason why they're doing things. Uh, therefore, we get the most out of them. They understand going out late at night, uh, eating junk food, uh, drinking alcohol is not performance enhancing. Um, and um, we've, we've sort of built that culture over a number of years just through education off the field and hard training on the field. 
Well, speaking of uh, coaching and trying to develop a, a, a high-performance environment, and, and Nick, we can, you can jump in here also. One of the things we wanted to talk to you about is the big news with uh, the ACT program partnering up with Arizona State University. So uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about what that entails, uh, because you, you're going to be running uh, pretty much, well, it seems like a year-long camp, a year-long academy. Uh, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. It's, it's essentially <clears throat> trying to replicate as best we can what we've done um, in our academies in Australia. So we've, we've in the past three years, pretty much since um, uh, since 2011, we've been working towards trying to develop an, an, an international academy, um, and that's, that's obviously based on the principles that Steve just talked about. Um, really, I reckon just having come back to the Brumbies, it's been quite refreshing coming back and actually seeing a pro how programs should work. I mean, I've been involved in programs that have worked well and programs that have been horrific. And, and, and I think it, it was refreshing actually coming back and, and seeing, particularly the way Steve, um, <clears throat> Laurie and, and Dean Benson um, really interacted to, to make sure that the program Really, really was world class, and, and, and you know that that group that we're talking about um, that they took, uh, you know, from the end of 2011. What a lot of people don't know is that the, uh, they lost 60% of, of staff and players from the previous um, uh, from the 2011 season. I think it was around about it was over 800 Super Rugby caps and, and 270 Test caps. They they took a team which was pretty much uh, average age of under 22. Ten guys made their Super Rugby debuts in that 2012 season. Seven in the first competition game, and uh, less than 15 games across the group as an average um, to a Super Rugby final within two years. And, and I think you know three Wallabies turned into 17 Wallabies, which is. To be quite honest, I, I haven't seen that type of development. Even just looking back at Super Rugby historically, there hasn't been an uh, an improvement of, of that magnitude. And I think what we've tried to do with our academy is, is there's a lot of things that are uh, that are applicable to to other programs, and a lot of it, as Steve mentioned, is based on injury prevention. But injury prevention and performance are the same thing. I mean, <clears throat> if you can keep players on the field and being able to train, well, they're going to get better. But the thing is, too, is, is there's aspects of, um, of injury prevention which actually help players to get in better positions on the field. Um, so a lot of that and a lot of the systems that, that, that these guys put in place in the Brumbies are actually applicable at any level, from under-12s all the way through, particularly in terms of getting players to move better, um, getting that transfer also in particular from strength and conditioning or athletic performance onto the field. So, so we've, we've incorporated that into our academy programs. We've actually redone our whole pathway um, and we're in the process of implementing that now. And we're already seeing um, just a bit of background, but the ACT only has 300,000 people. Uh, when the Brumbies were in their heyday, over 30% of the team were local players. Um, what these guys have done the past two years, aside from you know the sports science advantage, uh, um, advancements is they've actually gone back to the core core roots of the Brumbies culturally and, and there's a massive focus on developing the individual in front of you. And, and that's essentially what we're trying to do also is, is you know, part of the partnership with ASU is, is, is trying to educate the guys that they have on the ground there and, and put these systems in place um, which will then assist them in, in um, well two things, assist the individual in developing and achieving what they want to achieve, but also assisting um, ASU and their program in, in, in you know, improving where they are. And I think they're around about 13th, I think, in the nation at the moment. But you know, they're, they're quite ambitious in terms of where they want to go. I've known Gary for, for 10 years, um, and uh, you know, he's, he's a good businessman. And, and and I guess there's a lot of congruencies in, in what they want to do and, and what we've, where we want to do and, and what we're currently doing here. How much of this then is is thinking about recruiting, or and maybe recruiting isn't the right word because you're not going to pull somebody out of Arizona State and stick him in to play for the Brumbies. But um, how much of it is trying to develop some kind of recruiting base 
outside of uh, Australian capital territories? Uh, yeah, well, there's, there's definitely part of that as well, and um, I'll, I'll let Steve talk in a second. In a second, just in, in relation to that, but the, the way our program sits at the moment is is you've got your academy, which is which has changed a little bit, it's largely twenties and under. But but our club players um, and, and our Brumbies actually play in our club competition. So the guys that that aren't playing Super Rugby play in our club comp. But over the last two years, there's, there's been opportunity provided for our club players, our better club players, to train with the Brumbies over the off-season. Um, and I think what, it was 13 last year, wasn't it? Yeah, as, as we've got more Wallabies, there's more opportunities yep. for those types of guys. So there is opportunity, and Steve's already mentioned, that if, you know, if, if there are guys that have the right attitude and application, well, well that, that, those opportunities are available. For, for guys um, from the state, so like if we if Steve sees someone, um, particularly in the combine, by way of example, and we've, yeah, we've already talked to Bill Millard, uh, who's talked to Tulks, you know, if, if there are guys there that that they might, you know, they believe would benefit from training in a Super Rugby program, there's those opportunities, and and I think that's part of it. The other side of it is is building the Brumbies brand as well, um, and, and a lot of what we're doing internationally. At the moment, look, we've got a partnership with Kubota, who we've had for, for about five years, um, which con continues to be um, uh, renegotiated. We've got a partnership at the moment with Papua New Guinea Rugby Union. We had the sevens team based here for eight weeks in the lead up to the um, Commonwealth Games. And, and you know, I gave over once a month we test players over there. We put them on individualised programs and we're in the process now of, of building a whole high-performance coach education um, program with Pat New Guinea. It's basically a 10-year program to get them into the 2023 World Cup. So, so I guess this is just a, it's a part of an extension of our business and, and obviously you know, with myself having a fair bit of experience in the States over the last sort of 10 years, it's a, it's a natural progression and, and, and you know, it's the biggest high sport in high schools at the moment. It has been for a long time. There's, there's massive opportunity, I think, in the States. I know even with Arizona State, um, <coughs> I went over in 2010 and they had the two starting uh, tight ends for the ASU football program that were playing in the team. Um, and Chris Cole has, has, has just come out of the, the, the last NFL draft and got a contract. So there's, yeah, there's, there's massive opportunities, for, particularly for those guys that don't make in the NFL. And, and, and you guys would, would be able to speak with more authority on this, but, but those two guys that actually had a background in rugby, um, right. And we saw recently with Pete Carroll also even talking about the influence of rugby with, with their defence. Um, I think you know, yeah, the potential of the states we know is massive. And, and we've always talked about, I think, and certainly you guys in the states always talk about crossover athletes, but I think you really start, you're starting to get guys with, you know, four to 5,000 hours of, of, of junior rugby that are coming out of those programs that I think really are going to be primed moving forward to to to, uh, to play in professional rugby um, at, at yeah, super level. I mean, there's, there's a heap of guys in the Heineken Cup at the moment in, in Europe, but there's, you know, Todd Clever was the one that started it, but I, I don't see any reason why you won't see in the next couple of years more guys coming out and, and, and playing those levels. How does your program at Arizona State work and are you looking to expand it to other areas within the states or Canada, or are you just kind of focusing on Arizona State at the moment and kind of seeing where that goes? Like, how how, how does the program, let's say the tw the twelve month academy, work? Yep, sure. <clears throat> the um, at the moment the focus is on Arizona, and um, at, from a player or an academy uh, perspective, in terms of individual player development, and we've actually we. We've, we've signed an agreement with Arizona that we can't set up another academy at, at another university. Um, however, what we still, with the coach education, um, we still are able to consult to other programs. Um, and obviously, our coaching camps are, are a big part. We're trying to re-establish that. Um, and, and I know we've uh, we've had a number of coaches that have come through those over in a different entity, in UK Rugby Academy and, and with the QRU. Um, over the last sort of seven or eight years, but um, that, so that's there's two types, two areas of business. One is one is the the feature service program at Arizona State, which is which is really putting a lot of um, our principals here. And we're, we're lucky here too that 
our principal partner is the University of Canberra. So we, we're actually part of the University of Canberra now, as, as Steve alluded to before. We, we're based here. And the advantage we have with them is, is we can actually drive a lot of research in rugby. Um, and what we want to do is, is, is that they, they want to build profile in their program as well. And what we're trying to do is actually utilise the research we can get through there and then provide that that to um, commercially to other organisations. And I guess Arizona State's the first step in that is to really put our program here, there. The first year there'll be quite a bit of training in terms of staff, etc. But we do have some online monitoring um, uh, applications so we can make sure that, as Steve said before, there's a lot of data that goes in. And, and data that's analysed before a training session occurs, which which means that we we don't um, that we maximise the output of that session, but also we don't break players. Um, so a lot of what we're putting into Arizona State is in and around that individual player development. The, the first year, the large proportion of it will be strength and conditioning, and then as as, we, as the the program gets more money, then we'll start to implement implement more um, of the skills coaching focus. That's not to say that there won't be a skills coaching focus, um, but there won't be a, a, the on-field uh, team-based stuff will be done through the Arizona State program, whereas our program will be in and around getting getting the players' bodies right to play, um, making them physically resilient, and, and the technical transfer will be based in and around getting transfer from that athlete performance or strength and conditioning into skills under load, and then they go into their training, um, their team training with, with the university. So what you're looking at partly is to develop uh, uh, almost a, 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 a Brumby's way of training. Um, and then, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, then there's also the, and then we've seen this in the United States too, uh, uh, a university looking to, to raise its brand and, and um, you know, get, get more applicants, get more people interested in, in studying there, going there, going there to play rugby as well. Um, but, but definitely you're looking at sort of a, a, a Brumby's way. And Brum, yeah, Brumby's way to prepare, I guess, but, but, but it's also um, everything we do is backed up by, by research through, through the university and also through the IP and the, the practical application that, that, that Stephen and Laurie and, and Dean, you know, developed here two years ago. Yeah, you're, you're trying to go at an approach here and um, where... Obviously, not every rugby player, young rugby player, is going to become a professional. Not every rugby player is going to make it to the national team. You want to dangle that carrot, right? But you don't want to dangle it so much that you raise, um, you know, unrealistic expectations. Uh, but at the, at, at the same time, um, there's, a, there's a great value to being in some kind of high-performance um, scenario. Uh, whether that makes you a better athlete or it just makes you um, a more f focused person, and I think I think that's kind of what you're getting at, right? Yeah, absolutely correct. And look, even even with a lot of the, the S and C and the, the transfer to skill exercises that we do, it's all based around complex movement. And, and you know, there's really good science at the moment that suggests that complex movement has really positive effects in terms of executive function, in terms of emotional skills, and in terms of learning. So that the program itself is, is yes, it's, 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 it's to provide people with opportunity to try and get better in rugby, but I would argue that that even alone, the program will assist them in their studies, it will assist them in you know, even their contribution to Arizona. Look, we, all, we all join teams because we want to be a part of something, and, and I think Bruce was alluding to this before as well in terms of the culture, that when you're in a good culture, you want to stay in it or you want to replicate it. Um, when you're in a bad culture, you want to get away from it. <laughs> so, so, you know what I mean? So I think a big part of this is also is, 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 is creating an environment where an individual can um, reach their potential. Now, if that means that, that they go from junior varsity to varsity, fantastic. If it means they go from varsity to, to age grade national to Eagles, even better. But the reality is we, we just want to create an environment where the individual can, can get the most out of uh, what they want to achieve. When you, when you talk, one of the things you spoke about earlier is injury prevention, 
and the ability to stay on the field to train and play longer. I'd like you to delve into that a little bit and, and, and maybe even a bit more than give us a little insight because a lot of teams here are essentially probably no different than professional teams. You're two or three injuries away from a disaster and you need them. You need certain people to be on the field. It, it, it could be, you know, somebody that nobody knows about like your, your tight head lock, but he wins every kickoff wins, you know, is, is great in the line out and, and shoves in the scrum and, 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 and moves piles forward. And nobody knows who the hell the guy is because he doesn't make any carries. He just makes tackles. So, you know, that there's, there's certain people. How do you do that? How do you what, – what are the things that you're talking about in terms of prehab and injury and strength and conditioning? And then if you could maybe describe a, a typical week in Brumby's preseason and then Brumby's midseason. So the, the big thing, I guess, as we talked about, is is that um, if if we analyse players uh, from a movement perspective, that there's a couple of things that probably eighty percent of players. <clears throat> um, two things: their calves will be tight, um, which and, and generally, if their calves are tight when when they run, what happens is 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 in the motion of running, if if the flexibility doesn't allow the hips to get into a certain position then the rest of the body has to adjust in order for that to happen. So generally what, what will happen is that your hips will pop to one side. Now what happens then is, is the, the muscles that should be stabilising you um, get overworked and then, then they stop working. And then by way of example, the more times that happens is that your outside hamstring starts to get overworked. Um, and then eventually it'll, it'll just go. But, but the other point is, is once the stabilisers stop working functionally, um, particularly when you go into collision type situations, is that it, it, it ends up becoming like a nail. If, if, if you bang a nail and it starts to bend, the more you hit it, the more it bends. Whereas if you can keep the nail straight, then the power from the hammer goes straight through the nail into the wood, and then you know, two or three hits later, the, the nail's in the wood. It, it's a weird analogy, but, but, but the big thing is, is, is that if we can address the movement issues first, then as you start to load players up, then all of those issues that, um, that could potentially be risk factors, they, they become enhanced. And then what happens is you get soft tissue or hard tissue injury. I mean, a, a lot of ACL injuries, a lot of shoulder injuries are actually um, uh, from the fact that, that, that our bodies aren't moving in a way that they should be moving or they're not, the stabilisers aren't stabilising, which doesn't allow your prime movers to then... Um, uh, generate power in the direction that you want to generate. Now, if we then translate to the, to the field, so if, 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 if I'm a defender that, that and, and look, I might be able to tackle someone if, if you have someone straight on, I might have reasonable technique in terms of tackling them. But as soon as we add a, a movement into that, so if I come up and um, most players, as we know, when they come up in defence, they, they get into a position which looks like they're sitting on a toilet. Um, and the reason for that is it, it, it's, it's, you're hedging your bets because you don't know which, player, which way the player's going to go. So you get into a situation where I can go left or I can go right. The problem is, is that if, if I don't have strong glutes at, or if, if I don't stabilise properly, then, then I can't actually change direction in order to then make that tackle. Now, straight away, the position that I, I land my feet in is outside of my, uh, my hips, which, and, and the first thing that, that puts pressure on is ACLs. So if I try to change direction and I might be in a fatigued state, then the ACL is, is a serious risk of going. Now, the other thing is, is if I can't move laterally well, is then you know, I might make a tackle with, with my hand out and then suddenly my shoulder's in a position which is also in a position of risk. So what we do and, and, and where we go from the athletic performance to skill is that, and I'll take a step back, everyone can do a bridge, you know, when you're on your... Uh, on your elbows and they might be able to hold for a minute. But then we need to get that bracing into the skill. So what we, what we do then is we then go into a situation where we put that, that bracing movement and maybe something else that we've just done in the gym into a technical component under load. And that's where we bridge the gap between athletic performance, injury prevention and then skill. Because I think most, most and this is where um, in the last two years, and for me it's, 
you know, coming from a coaching background and, and, and seeing this stuff in practice, like it's, it's actually been quite uh, uh, quite refreshing, incredibly refreshing uh, to see that, that, and again, this is the influence and the interaction between Dean, Dean Benson, Steve and Laurie, is that they've been able to develop this system and, and as a result, you've seen um, you know, incredible results in terms of turning you know, in some cases, average footballers into 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 wallabies. You know, if you would, if you would have told uh, uh, you know the average Australian punter four years ago that Scott Fardy, uh, a journeyman, would be a wallaby, that would have laughed in your face. You now he's a wallaby, he's a starting wallaby, and probably one of the using your leadership group here, isn't he? Mm. Yeah, he is. Uh, then, if you want me I to got a, about... I got a, I got a quick question to follow up on, just before. So it, what, what I'm getting is it's, it seems that you're taking an approach that's very similar to like what Gray Cook f from the United States and the guy from Stanford, the uh, strength and conditioning coach there, like ankle mobility, knee stability, hip mobility, low back stability, thoracic mobility, shoulder stability, functional movement, get your, you know, get your movement patterns right and then increase the loads, check your ego at the door, and and become an athlete number one, become a strong and fit athlete number two, and then worry about the rest of it when you have the first two bits because your foundation is your athleticism. I mean, your foundation is your movement pattern, your strength, and your athleticism. But if you have kinks in it, then you're kind of always an injury waiting to happen. Yeah, 100%. Yep, and then so, so how did that transfer into the rugby team? I guess at, at periods through that development, you've got to be inputting a lot of uh, rugby technique, uh, a lot of theory, a lot of understanding of the game, uh, which is, I guess, where I generally take over there. So the SNCs do their job in terms of preparing the guys, uh, and then when they're in a position to get out there and train, then we take over from there. Um, the biggest thing, like I said before, the biggest thing that we worry about is injury uh, for a number of reasons. Um, and the biggest precursor to injury is changing load. So if we, uh, if we run on a different surface, like a hard surface versus a soft surface, if we train for a lot longer, uh, than we normally would, if we train more intensely than we normally would, if there's a lot more contact than we normally have, then we're opening ourselves up to injury. So, uh, yeah, I guess similar to what you just said there, Bruce, in terms of making sure that they are functionally strong, functionally stable. Uh, we do that prep work first as our pre-season, so depending on uh, how long a break we've had, we do some physical prep on the body first. So if we'll say a five-week break um, of doing no rugby, we might have two weeks of physical prep before we even touch a football. Uh, in this instance, in this pre-season that we're about to embark on uh, in November, the boys are playing in a national rugby competition at the moment. They're going to get two weeks off. Uh, so we're only going to have one week of physical prep, which will reintroduce them to running loads, to strength in the gym. They should all already have all their functional stability uh, ticked off because they're not going to lose that over that little period. And then after that one week of prep, we get into our uh, usual pre-season training load, um, which is very intense, which is uh, sort of a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, double sessions each day. Uh, we really focus on our recovery and uh, really intense sessions. So the recovery is flexibility. It is uh, good nutrition. It is sleeping during the middle of the day that we are uh, uh, encouraging the boys to do at the moment. So uh, two years ago, we were religious with it. Um, last year, not so religious. Um, and then uh, this season coming, we're going to bring it back in. Um, so all of those things, it's, it's your hot and cold, it's your, your nutrition, um, your sleep, flexibility, uh, prepares the athlete to get on the park and uh, give the most uh, that their body can give for that short duration that we want training to be. Is there a difference between doing that for uh, what you'd, you'd call an experienced or relatively polished rugby player, uh, you know, a 23-year-old Australian kid who's uh, 
been been playing for 17, 18, 19 years, as opposed to you go to the United States and you'll have um, you know somebody who's 21. If he's an experienced rugby player, he may have played for three or four years. Um, the, you know, when you when you go uh, September 20th at Arizona State will be the uh, the first camp for the uh, ASU Brumbies Academy. Uh, and will you be thinking along the lines of uh, physical preparation, or do you have to step back and say, well, let's see what we've got on the rugby level first? Yeah, combination of both. So I guess that is the. That is the difference in professional rugby now compared to when I started in 96. So we started here at the Brumbies and, and really uh, all around the world in 96 in, in the professional program. And we had uh, uh, amateur rugby players um, playing professional rugby. Uh, now they were all good rugby players, as in they had an understanding of the game, they had good skills, uh, they good, had good anticipation, communication, all that sort of stuff. They were good rugby players, but they weren't such physical specimens. Um, rugby is unique in that you can have all different shapes and sizes playing, uh, from a tall, lanky second rower to a short, fat prop. Um, and they're all valuable on the field. Uh, and so when we first started up in 96, we had all these people come together, most of them uh, professionals uh, outside of rugby, uh, in terms of uh, architects or engineers or accountants. That was sort of the typical demographic of a, of a rugby player. They all came together and, and we had really good skill in that first year. And then sides through the professional program started to develop athletes. Uh, and then it was a race to try and develop your rugby players into athletes. Uh, to the point now where a lot of players are actually picked on physical size or physical ability um, before they're chosen on their rugby ability. And, and here at the Brumbies, we're trying to change that a little bit uh, in that we want to see that potential of the rugby player uh, and, and also see the potential that they might have as an athlete uh, as opposed to the other way around because we feel that having the necessary skills for rugby um, is more important than your uh, uh, athletic development um, and, and, of course, it's a case-by-case case and it's a position-by-position position decision that you have to make uh, along those lines. Um, so what we're going to see in America, uh, my understanding is, like you've said, that there hasn't been a rich history of, of those guys playing rugby for, for a long time. Um, but we will see some good athletes. Um, and I guess what we'll be looking for is uh, people who can transfer that athletic ability into the game of rugby. Um, so we will be looking more for that potential uh, rugby superstar um, who might have a great athletic body and athletic ability um, and, and that hint of uh, coordination and anticipation, uh, communication that, that we're looking for that we can really develop um, into an outstanding rugby player. And, and as you discussed right at the beginning, um, there's some discussion with the USA Rugby people, with with uh, Billy Millard and, and Mike Tolkien about channeling some players through this academy, potentially. Yeah, so I guess from my point of view in terms of uh, coaching here at the Brumbies, uh, like Nick said, we try and get a lot of the local players to come in and train with us uh, pre-season, um, uh, pre-Christmas really, uh, to see how they perform at that next level, but also to give us that uh, base um, so that we can train 15 on 15. We pick up a few injuries, we've got a few guys away at the Wallabies. Uh, how can we get 15 on 15 so we can get some valuable training in through that period? We'll bring these local players who show, have shown potential in the local competition through here. But it'll be the same um, with what we're going to see in America. Can we get some guys into, into the Australian uh, competition uh, and potentially super rugby competition because uh, they're good enough to do so and they just haven't been exposed to it. Um, so we're certainly going over there looking at someone who can come over, uh, I guess, initially to train with the Brumbies, not just in the academy program, but to train with the Brumbies um, to potentially strengthen our training but also potentially uh, increase their chances of playing professionally. Excellent. Excellent. How do you look at the... Um how do you look at the competitiveness of a guy, the, the, the mental capacity of the guy to be able to handle things? Because many of the, of the greatest 
players in every sport kind of don't fit the mold. Like Joe Montana was, you know, not that big of a guy and won four Super Bowls as a quarterback. And, you know, you look at there's a whole lot of people like people would say Montana is the greatest quarterback or they say Walter Payton's the greatest running back. And Walter Payton played one double A football. I mean, Arizona State wouldn't look at him. And so you, when you look at things like that, and I just use those examples because of American sports, but if you look, there's plenty of examples like the Stefan Armitage in rugby and, you know, even, uh, a, a, you know, is, is the David Pocock of the world no longer valuable? Who knows? I'm just, you go through this, there's a, there's a million examples of guys who don't necessarily, quote unquote, fit the mold, but they bring something to the table it's an X factor that you're just like, hey, man, he's got to be on the field. And he's one of the best I've ever seen. How does that fit? You know, it's a Tim Horan, somebody you played with. is Like, nobody would think that that little guy or, or Matt Gitto, that they don't fit the mold of midfield players. But on the other hand, they fit the mold of he's a footballer and – he could do you know he could do anything because he backs himself. Where do you, how does that play into it? I mean, physical. There's so many guys that you've seen. I know you've seen a million of them. Looks like Tarzan plays like Jane, and you know. But then the other guy looks like Jane plays like Tarzan. Mm. And they're the guys that we'd rather have. So uh, you talk about skills in rugby, and there's there's the obvious ones: you catch, pass, your technical stuff, scrummaging, line out, lifting, all that sort of stuff. Um, then there's the other element, uh, and one of them is mental toughness, is being tough, um, is uh, in anticipation, is vision, is communication, is coordination, is understanding. They're all very important skills, and they're not, you know, there's things that you can't necessarily measure. It's just a feel thing. Um, and again, I think, like I said before, your team selection is very important um, from week to week, but from season to season as well. And you have to find the best fit for your team. So someone like a Sam Armitage might fit the role that you need because you've got uh, uh, other players that, that uh, complement him well. Um, so you've got, to, you've got to find that uh, case by case, position by position, specific person that you might need that will fill a gap in your team that will complement other players. But going back to that, plays like... Um, uh, looks like Tarzan plays like Jane. Um, we are the complete opposite. We are always looking for that person who has toughness, mental toughness, physical toughness, throws himself into those contests because that, what we found over, over many years here at the Brumbies, that is the hardest skill to either acquire or develop is that mental toughness. You've either got it or it takes you sort of 10 years to develop it. So, and we don't have that sort of time in professional sport. So, we, we really are looking for those guys who are mentally tough. Okay, can I ask a question? Is that a lot of football coaches and gridiron football coaches and basketball coaches would say that, you know, one of the main things that they do is part of their recruitment is their interview. And more so than their 40 time or their strength or whatever it is, it's the interview with the guy that kind of says, is this a guy that I want to have around my team? Is this a guy that I want to yeah, be dealing with, like you know, at X amount of dollars a year? Like, I don't, I don't put up with his crap. Or is he going to be a guy who enhances everyone around them, makes them better? Uh, no, how they fit into the team environment is massive as well. Um, sometimes you can get that uh, by talking to them. Most of the time you can get it by, by talking to them. Um, I guess I recruit first and foremost on watching a guy play and not watching his highlights real because that's always the good stuff. You know, sometimes watching the last 20 minutes of the game when the team's completely beaten uh, to see how he reacts, what his attitude's like. But realistically, you just need to sit down and you watch a whole game and you'll pick it up pretty quick. If the guy's got any sort of toughness, he's going to be doing the stuff that, that uh, people aren't looking for. Uh, the work off the ball, all that sort of stuff. So you've got, you've actually got to go out there and watch them play a game without them knowing that you're coming to watch a game. And you get a pretty good sense of what sort of person they are 
um, and whether they're going to fit into your team culture. Uh, I guess, you know, our culture here, if anyone's, uh, and, and pardon the swearing, but anyone's a dickhead, they don't sort of last very long over here. The culture that we've got down here, um, if they've got too much of an ego, they carry on too much, um, they're too self-interested, uh, they're not team-oriented. They get found out pretty quickly in, in a rugby team culture and particularly here at the Brumbies and, uh, you know, their their contract will not be renewed pretty much. All right. Well, uh, it, it, so- it sounds like we this is going to be uh, a, a pretty exciting exposure for uh, young American players, uh, both who might be able to uh, take some time in Australia but also at Arizona State. Uh, just a, a couple of... Um, housekeeping things to uh, get involved with the Arizona State and Brumby's uh, Camp and Academy. Um, email, uh, well, what I have is uh, Kevin Elliott's email, kelliot at asurugby.org. You can also get uh, information on the Academy uh, linked to this show, uh, the the link on golfrugbyreport.com that comes with this show, and you get information from Rugby Matrix America as well uh, as you listen to get informed. And and Nick, is there more ways that people can get information about the academy at Arizona State? Uh, yeah, look, absolutely. We're um, <clears throat> we're in the process of building a website, um, which which will be coach specific. So we're going to have a lot of our pathway stuff and a lot of the things we've talked about. Um, on, on that website. So, for example, if you're an, an under or high school coach, you'll have access to, to activities, strength and conditioning activities, um, uh, prehab, as you said before, activities to skill under load activities that, that can be utilised. So, so, the other thing we're doing while we're over there is we're, we're running um, three advanced coaching courses too. And, and, and there's one in New Jersey. Um, on the uh, sorry, 13th and 14th, um, we've got one in Boston on the uh, 14th and 21st. Um, we're running a one-day one on the 21st in in Arizona, and then uh, the other ones in Minnesota on the uh, 27th and 28th. And and um, and I know. We've, look, the the big thing about the the coaching camps uh, that we're doing is is that they're a bit different to ones we've we've done in the past in that. Um, They'll still have a, a reasonable technical and tactical component, but it, it'll the big focus, particularly with with Stephen, will basically uh, mirror a Super Super Rugby Week. Um, so we'll give give people the opportunity, I guess, that particularly people who've done our camps before, and 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 you don't necessarily have to have done that, but it's 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 about taking uh, coaches through all the pla- the pl- the planning processes, the analysis, review, um, being able to provide. Uh, that information in a concise way, uh, utilising video footage, and then going on field, and 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 then sort of taking coaches through, I guess, the, some of the parameters that we use, which which monitor the training. Um, you know, we've we've alluded to the fact that, that a lot of what we do is around injury prevention, right. but we still train at intensities that are the. I mean, there's a small window between training enough and then training too much. So the key with all our monitoring is making sure we're always at the top end of that without breaking the players. So, um, and, and by way of example, um, yeah, the Brumbies were the fittest team in Super Rugby in 2012, and that was from a very low base. In 2013, they were 40% fitter, and they had less contact injuries. I think they had four over the course of that season, and um, yet they, they had 30% more contact. So not only were they fitter, but they were more physical. So if we go back to the parameters we were talking about before, and the, the big focus in what we do is is getting that transfer from the athletic performance to the field, which is, is a key bridge, I guess, in, in getting um, uh, technical skill in, into open environments. It, it's a key bridge, I reckon, that, that's often missed. Um, and, and I know we've talked about, you know, the... the the reliability of squatting and that type of stuff and how that then fits into the game. So a lot of what the camps will, will go through is 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 it'll provide an opportunity for coaches in a simulated fashion, like a Super Rugby week, and, and it's the week um, leading into the semi-final against the Chiefs this year. Um, they'll analyse footage of the Chiefs, analyse footage of the Brumbies. From that, they'll, they'll develop their own tactical plans. Then Stephen will come in and say, OK, this is what we did and this is the, the information that we used. Then they'll go on field and that's where the technical and tactical component comes in. So that's where 
um, Steve will take the, the coaches through, you know, how to get that transfer from athletic performance to the game. You know, the fact that it is simulating a super rugby week, um, it is still good for all, all levels of coaches because the reality is every coach has to plan, every coach has to review, every coach has a certain amount of time with the players and all, and, and, and the big focus on, on these courses is, is saying, well, you've got this amount of time, you've got to maximise that, how do you do it? And how do you incorporate everything into your program which, um, which ticks off injury prevention, which gets some training at good intensity, get, that gets transfer um, f- from the gym and from the, your training to the field, that uh, ways to, to provide information to players so the tactical aspects are, um, uh, are, are understood, etc. So if you go back to previous camps we've run, like, you know, we've got a skill acquisition element. Well, this is the opportunity then to utilise that information to then try and put it in a practical sense. And, and coaches that haven't been to our previous camps, we, we, we've got, we've actually, it's, as part of the registration process, they can, they can buy presentations that, that we've run previous, previously, which have linked footage. So basically it's, a, it's about a four or five gigabyte package of presentations uh, with the theory, with footage showing examples. And, and look, if coaches do purchase that, if, if they actually want to do those courses, we're, we're going to be back in January. Um, we, we, just, we just take the purchase of those presentations off the uh, off the January courses. Um, so it, it, again, if, if they come to those courses, the net effect is nothing. The other one is obviously the combine, which is on the twentieth at, at Arizona. Um, we'll be comprehensively testing the players, so um, looking at their physical literacy, um, which we talked about, looking at their their speed, doing a pretty much a full evaluation in terms of skills. Um, players have the opportunity to, to, to actually buy a package as well on top of that, which gives them six weeks worth of athlete performance, injury prevention and individual skills. Uh, and again, in, in an app that we can provide them, uh, but also they have the opportunity to, to have a crack at you know, the, the scholarship at ASU and potentially, if, if, if Steve likes, likes a player there, there's, there's the opportunity to potentially uh, to come down and, and train with the Brumby squad itself. So the, the actual camp dates or the coaching camps, we're, we're running one in uh, New Jersey uh, on the 13th and 14th of September. Uh, in Boston on the Sunday the 14th and Sunday the 21st, so day one's the 14th. Uh, day two is the 21st. Um, Arizona, we've obviously got the combine on the 20th and we're running the first day of the course, um, which is uh, own team analysis on the 21st. And Minnesota, we're running uh, day one on the 21st, uh, day one on the 27th and day two on, on Sunday the 28th. Well, uh, we're looking forward to it. More information is available on Golf Rugby Report, and um, you'll also be able to see the ad that's on uh, Golf Rugby Report uh, that links to more information at Arizona State. Uh, Nick Leah and Stephen Larkham, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. This has been great. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Don't forget to check out Rugger Matrix International show, as always, on RuggerMatrix.com, and you can always check back with the old Rugger Matrix America shows on that website on golfrugbyreport.com and also you can check it out on itunes rugger matrix america is brought to you by aircraft charter solutions and for bruce mclean and for pat clifton this is alex golf can't even say my name how about that yeah before you go yes what I like the no dickhead policy. You can win a lot of games just by that alone. <laughs> that is an excellent policy. That's good. Uh, for Bruce McLean and Pat Clifton, this is Alex Goff saying thank you for listening to Rugger Matrix America. Mm-hmm.